0: on Podcast Network. For the roughly 200th time, (laughs) welcome back to Butter With That, a movies podcast where some friends come together to talk about all things movies. That is right, folks. We have hit episode 200. After four and a half years of recording, almost, uh, we have hit 200 episodes, which is uh, a crazy wild milestone. So from all of us here butter crew joined by dave sam and christine uh thank you so much for joining us on this journey whether this is you know episode one episode 10 or episode 200 uh we deeply appreciate the support that everybody has provided uh all the emails we've received all the in-person love um, that we've heard and also special shout out to the movie john podcast network um which has been a really wonderful uh it's been great to join that podcast network great to join a really wonderful family of podcasts Uh, And I'm really excited to see where our journey with Movie John and Butter With That goes for maybe another 200 episodes. We did it once. Maybe we can do it again.
1: Well, speaking of the Movie John Podcast Network, uh, we do have a uh, phantom limb of the show. That being our good friend Tori, who, uh, though uh, she couldn't join us tonight, did send her uh, best wishes. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and share that with the rest of the group here.
2: Hey Butter fam, it's me, Tori, back to wish my Butter crew a very happy 200th anniversary. Congrats on this huge podcasting milestone. I know so much has changed over the years, but I am so glad y'all are still going strong. Butter With That was one of the best projects to be a part of. I cherish memories like learning about Summer of My Monkey from Christine, letting Dave try to melt my brain with movies like Food Fight, Listening to Connor rag on some of my favorite movies like The Last Jedi, a.k.a. the best Star Wars movie, talking mermaid vaginas with Tom, and discovering that my bestie Sam maybe hates movies. But truly, I got to leave a draining day job to hang out with some of my favorite people, drink beers, pet cute kitties, laugh so hard I cried, and talk about movies, Butter with that made me realize how much I love talking about and writing about movies, so much so that I get to do it all the time now. And while I spend more time writing than talking, I do still love my podcast fam and miss it dearly. The Wizard of Oz is such a great pick, and I'm excited to hear you all talk about it. It was one of the first movies I remember terrifying me. The Wicked Witch and The Wizard scared the crap out of me. Now I know, I'm a huge horror person now, but back in the day, I was a big scaredy cat. And those two made me hide behind the couch sometimes. But I was obsessed with Dorothy. So much so that my mom got me the outfit with matching ruby red slippers. It was probably my first movie cosplay. And on the subject of some of my past cosplays, If you love those Technicolor vibes, make sure you check out Ty West's 2022 movie Pearl. I know, sorry, I had to plug a horror movie. But like I said, congratulations again, everyone. I love you all so much, and cheers to 200 more
0: butters. My God, I'm going to cry. That was my first time hearing that. That was so
3: sweet. Um, Thank you, Tori. We miss you. We love your message. That was amazing, and love,
1: Tori. And love the show, uh, Killer Bees, which uh, you can find through the Movie John podcast uh, network as well. Uh, we also have a quick note from, uh, I think, our longest listener, uh, perhaps our most devoted listener. I believe he hasn't missed a single episode. And that, of course, the man who provided us our first guest uh, in an impromptu phone call during a recording. So that being, of course, my dad,
4: Tom. Here he is. Just wanted to say hello. Hello. Glad you guys thought of me about this 200-episode thing. i got to tell you, I've been listening for quite a while here, and i got to tell you, uh, it's been a lot of fun. It really has. I've learned a lot about movies, stuff that I never even thought about. I think you know my background as far as watching the movies. If I walk out of a movie and it was a good movie, I just say, hey, it was a good movie. I never really thought about discussing the movies. I know that's something you always wanted to do, and I was always kind of left out in the dark about it. But listening to you guys, I'm starting to understand a little bit more on what to look for in movies other than just the idea that I like it or don't like it. You know, I never really thought about, sometimes there's a movie that was ah, so, so, but somebody was a really good acting, a real actor, actress in it. And I never really thought of looking at it that way, but listening to you guys over the couple of years, what well, it's been about four years, I guess, four and a half years, whatever 200 episodes is a long time. And it's been a lot of fun for me. It really has. I'll be honest with you. I, you know, when I first started, you guys said, you're going to have a podcast. I said, hey, okay. You know, Dave has got a podcast and some of his friends. Great. But as time went by, it was really nice because i thought' not only listen because of you, I started to learn more about the people you were with and listening to their point of view. So they kind of came like my little, uh, like our family. I would be at work and I'd listen to you guys and I really look forward to it. It was a lot of fun listening to each one of you guys because you'll have different opinions. And you guys kind of needle each other a little bit a little bit here and there, which I find is a lot of fun. I really do. And, you know, over time, I've learned everybody's voice so I can tell who's talking, who's not talking without having to be introduced to each one of them. So it's really been a lot of fun. So and like I said, 200 episodes, that's it's it's quite an accomplishment. And uh, I'm really proud of you guys. You really you have really done a good job. And I've told some of my friends about it. Some of my friends listen, some don't, you know, that type of thing. But I really look forward to it every week. You know, because I'm still working two days a week and that hour of you guys listening to you guys in the afternoon, which is generally what I do. I really enjoy myself and I kind of get lost in it. And it's really been a lot of fun. And I want to thank you guys. I want to thank you, Dave. I want to thank Christine, Sam and Connor and Tori in the very beginning. You guys have uh, done a really good job. You've come a long way and I've enjoyed I've enjoyed every minute of it. I really have. And I look forward to it. And I wish you guys another 200, I guess. Or as far as you guys are willing to go with it. You guys made it through COVID and all the other stuff. I mean, that's great. You guys stuck together. It's that it shows a lot of um I can't think of the way you are. <laughs> but I do enjoy it. Like I said, um, I'm kind of running out of things to say, other than I guess your what is your tagline at the end there always um have a good <laughs> have a good whatever. So again, thank you, Christine, Sam, and Connor for the good times I've had with it. I'm looking for a lot more and i appreciate everything you guys have done so thanks a lot
0: mr sampson we thank you for your support your uh, endearing support and yeah you are our first guest you didn't even know it at the time but you would be the first guest star on butter with that
5: ooh i just want to like chant dave's dad dave's dad dave's dad dave's dad, dave's dad.
0: Ooh, ooh. Uh, for for some reason when i open butter with that like our profile on Spotify it's always the independence day episode which is when uh your i believe your dad was also featured on that episode so i was in on that one also yeah Mr. Sampson weighing in on independence day i don't know why it always opens up on it's really annoying because i have to scroll all the way to the top oh. well we really appreciate the love from friends and family for this project um who knew that you know in august of 2018 when we first came together that we'd be here in 2023 Surviving a pandemic and hosting 200 episodes and talking about many, many movies, many directors, and, of course, many actors.
1: Yes. And as a matter of fact, I've got some stats to that effect. I uh, did some digging and found uh, the directors and actors that were most frequently featured throughout our coverage. Uh, By the way, that coverage encompassing 213 hours So that's an awful lot of us talking about movies, among other things. In the mix, uh, we did talk about several directors several times, that including Toby Hooper with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist. Going to put a little asterisk on that one uh, because that's kind of a Spielberg one as well uh, a bit. Bong Joon-ho with Snowpiercer and Okja. Joel Cohen with Fargo and a Serious Man. Christine's gal, Kelly Reichardt with Meek's Cutoff and First Cow. Uh, we have Ridley Scott with Alien and Blade Runner. We have John Carpenter with The Thing and Christine. We have George Miller with Fury Road and Road Warrior. Robert Semeckis with Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Back to the Future. Christopher Nolan with The Prestige and Inception. And then we have some with three Guillermo del Toro with Hellboy, Pacific Rim, and Kronos. Steven Spielberg with Jurassic Park, Catch Me If You Can, and Jaws. I want to put an asterisk on that one for the Poltergeist thing also. And J.J. Abrams with Rise of Skywalker, The Force Awakens, and Star Trek. But coming in at number one, and this largely my fault, would be Paul Thomas Anderson with There Will Be Blood, Boogie Nights, The Master, and previous episode, uh, as of this
3: recording, Phantom Thread. It sounds like we're just going to have to do the full review. (laughs) PTA, uh, full collection.
0: Maybe even uh, hosting a hot Nolan summer one day. Maybe on
3: summer. Okay. A little weather report for you.
0: I've been uh, trying
3: to avoid watching tenant, but you know,
0: we'll see. I'll rage talk that movie. I'll do it. That's a threat. <laughs> that's a threat. Sounds good. <laughs> I think uh it's just amazing how many different directors we've covered. Uh I think that's just really awesome. And so many movies I never would have watched. Um, and probably we'll still never see like Meek's cut off. I think I can't watch it at this point. It's too much of a legendary <laughs> movie in my mind. <laughs>
1: It's 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 big part of the lore. Uh, speaking of lore, we do also have several actors that were repeat features on the show. Uh, there's a ton of them with two, so I'm going to skip those. Uh, but uh, with actors that come in at three or more, we do have a variety. Uh, with three, we have Bill Murray, Carrie Fisher, Christian Bale, Daniel Craig, Elizabeth Banks, Harrison Ford, Jeff Goldblum, John Hurt, Kevin J. O'Connor, Laura Dern, Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Hamill... Nicholas Holt, Patrick Swayze, Richard E. Grant, Ron Perlman, Taryn Edgerton, Tim Curry, Tom Hanks, and William H. Macy. We have some that come in at four, and coming in at four would be Adam Driver, Chris Lloyd, Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, Judy Greer, Keanu Reeves, Michael Shannon, Oscar Isaacs, Paul Danu, Samuel L. Jackson, Sandra Bullock, Simon Pegg, Steve Buscemi, and then... Uh, ultimately coming in. Oh, uh, excuse me. One other addition there at number at four. Uh, this is one that I was confused about and thought was a five. I'm sure uh, Sam is perhaps a little bit upset to discover it is a four. That would be Chris Evans. But coming in at number five and uh, ultimately the one with the most points and most recurrences on the show, ladies and gentlemen,
0: Tom Hardy.
3: Give a big round of applause for Tom, our boy Tom. Tom! Yay. That's
0: that's surprising. I would have thought Chris Evans with just Sam's intense love and passion. She also loves Tom Hardy. But I really thought we've done so many Chris Evans vehicles that I thought he would be number one.
3: I feel like also in those threes, I was very surprised. Or fours. Simon Pegg, four movies.
0: He
1: does have that uh, voice role in uh, Force Awakens. So that uh, that bumped it up.
3: Oh, interesting. I'll have to go back and look at the stats. Dave, thank you so much for getting those stats. I feel like it really puts our movie selections in an interesting, uh, in a fascinating light.
5: It's it's funny to me because Tori's comment saying, maybe Sam doesn't like movies. No, Sam does <laughs> like movies starring <laughs> Chris Evans and Tom Hardy. He's... Not, Tom Hardy is not totally my fault, but it's mostly my fault. So what what, what I'll say here is, you're welcome.
0: <laughs> yeah, Dave, thank you so much for putting that together. When I uh, walked into where uh, Dave's workstation, I saw he had a massive spreadsheet open, saw what he was doing, said, good job, thanks for doing that, and then walked away. <laughs> you know, we chatted a little, but uh, I'm glad to hear the final reveal of Tom Hardy. What a lovely surprise. Congrats, Tom. Maybe we should uh, make you an award and send it.
3: Um, as Tom, you know, it's like you won this prestigious award. So as a thank you to us, um, I think you should come on Butter With That and talk about your life, your experience filming these movies we reviewed, because I don't it's like Tom, I know you listen. So I don't know, like, <laughs> you know, if you know and realize how prestigious of, of an award this Butter With That honor is. That's bait.
5: I think he is just weird enough
3: that he, he might. He
5: he might, if he ever found out. Um, also, I have such inflated ego that I think that if I was to ever meet Tom Hardy, I could make him laugh. And at, at some point, I feel like I could. And that mm-hmm. in of itself is enough to get him on this podcast. Come on, Tom, please.
3: Yeah. I think we're putting it out into the universe, and it, it'll be just a matter of time. Manifesting. Just everywhere. a matter of Tom.
0: <laughs> There's our theme. There's our theme. <laughs> just a
3: matter of Yeah, that'll be another
0: four movies.
3: <laughs> it'll be so yeah, maybe some of his lesser knowns. <laughs> and we'll just tag him a lot on so is he like Sam? Is he like all in on social media or not really? I feel like he,
5: not really. He's on Instagram yeah. a little bit, um, okay. but it's
3: mostly talking about his wrestling. So yeah. Okay. All
5: right.
3: Oh, believe. he had a thing where it was like his MySpace went viral. Did you see that? <laughs> I think and he's learned. <laughs> I'm sorry. His MySpace went viral? Yes. And <laughs> that was like pictures. a thing for a while. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. It's it's there's some gems on there. I'm sure there's still um, digital documentation
0: of it. Well, without further ado, I say let's dive deep into, as you heard Tori say, and as you saw in the title. Uh, we are talking about the Wizard of Oz for episode 200. But before we get in, listeners, please stay until the end of the episode because we have, uh, Dave has a special surprise. So make sure you stick through this discussion. Don't fast forward. We'll know if you fast forward. And so just want to let you know right at the top, we have a very special surprise at the end. For our for Sam and I are unaware of what the surprise is. and uh, So we'll be with you listeners discovering what Dave's surprise. So we picked The Wizard of Oz. This is Dave's idea for episode 200. um, As a really, it's a monumental work of American cinema. Apparently the most watched movie on planet Earth. Which is surprising, also unsurprising, because it is so old. Curious to see what we have to say about it, because so much has been said about The Wizard of Oz. uh, Released on August 25th, 1939. uh, Directed by Victor Fleming, along with others, I'm sure. So, I'm sure we'll get to, and of course, starring Judy Garland, Frank Morgan, Ray Bolger, Burt Lar, Lar, Lar never quite knew how to pronounce his name. Um, <laughs> Margaret Hamilton, many others. I also think it's hilarious that on Wikipedia under starring, it's just the Munchkins as like that they're the actors with like their name.
5: Also, I just want to point this out uh, I was doing some Wikipedia ing. When I was watching Wizard of Oz, and it credited Toto to a dog named Jerry. And then when I was actually watching it, it was Toto. Toto,
3: what is the truth? I don't know. The dog's name is, yeah, Terry. But then it was changed to Toto. For the, what? So the dog was named Terry, and Terry starred in Wizard of Oz, and then Toto became so popular as a character that owners changed her name to Toto. Okay.
0: Oh, so on the HBO version, they must have updated the credits. At some like at some point, the credits were updated, I guess. Like that.
5: You know what? That's a mind fuck, and I don't like it. Th- this is the first time we get like the fucking people going back and editing the Disney Plus shit. Mm. Uh, uh, I catch you, and I don't like it. Terry forever. Or tora. I mean, you know what? Identify yourself ho- however you want to. I mean, the dog's dead, whatever. Anyway. I,
0: I, but I think this brings up a really great point of what's fun about talking about The Wizard of Oz is that there is so much mythologizing, so much folklore, so many interesting components and interesting backstory. And we don't really have like a big structure for this episode. We're going to cover uh, some of the production history, go into some things we liked, a lot of things we liked probably, and then many questions that we have about this film. So get ready for a free flow and discussion about the Wizard of Oz. I guess this tradition I can give like a brief synopsis um, for folks who are unfamiliar with the Wizard of Oz. It's a 1939 American musical fantasy film, uh, which is an adaptation of L. Frank Baum's 1900 children's fantasy novel, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Uh, throughout The Wizard of Oz, we follow Dorothy as she is uh, goes from Kansas, this black and white world, to uh, the wonderful land of Oz as she meets many exotic characters, goes on a wonderful journey, and learns uh, how there really is no place like home. How is that for an off-the-cuff synopsis? Yeah, Nailed bad. it. Nailed it, Connor. So, I assume everyone has seen The Wizard of Oz before. Is that a safe assumption?
3: It is not a safe assumption, because as <laughs> I'm watching this, I'm like... Holy shit! I don't think I've ever watched this all the way through. Really, I know that was one of my big reveals for this episode. Is that there is probably half of this movie I watched for the first time, and I think the only reason I saw other half of it was because it's just so embedded in like in like cult American culture that like I would have watched some of the musical numbers and things like that. But there were entire chunks where I was like, yep, this is all new.
1: <laughs> I kind of had the same, I've seen this a number of times, but there are definitely por- huge portions of this movie that I totally forgot about. Um, also uh, re-watching it on the HBO transfer, uh, the HBO Max transfer that's currently up is awesome. It's the clearest I've ever seen it. So um, worth checking out there.
5: This was the first movie I ever saw. And I have seen this movie so many times. I think I said this about Jurassic Park once. Um, every scene is etched into my eyeballs. So I like, if you mention one thing immediately, one day at work, we were talking about the fucking sausages with Professor Marvel. And I don't know why, but I was like, it's like the sausages in his fucking cart. Anyway, I love this movie. I'm so glad we're talking about it.
0: I have also seen this movie a lot as a kid. My mom loved this movie. Um, as Tori mentioned, you know, being scared. I mean, there are some pretty terrifying elements for children. My mom was terrified of the monkeys. She still doesn't like monkeys to this day uh, because <laughs> of the, monkeys in the Wizard of Oz. Mom, you listen sometime. So let me know if you checked out this episode uh, and if that is truth. But yeah, so she's terrified of monkeys because of this movie. And I hadn't seen The Wizard of Oz. God, I was maybe like ten years old, maybe less, you know, younger. Um, so there were definitely I you know remember watching it, but there were Dave like you said large chunks of the movie that clearly did not soak into my child brain. Uh, and overall, like I was pretty blown away with *The Wizard of Oz* from a visual level, from an editing level, filmmaking. Like when I go back to watching an old movie, I don't expect it to fire on all cylinders because movie making has just changed so much. So I'm expecting one part of it to maybe not work, maybe it's too long, maybe the pace isn't quite right, but it really feels like generally the Wizard of Oz is just firing on all cylinders, uh, and it's a brisk like was about ninety, maybe hour twenty. Uh, this movie does not mess around, and overall, I was pretty blown away with how engaged I was throughout it, uh, and how it still holds up uh, almost a hundred years later. So, did you guys also kind of have a similar watching experience? Yeah, going back to it with fresh
1: eyes, and especially again this this beautiful transfer. It's really just. A fantastic movie where, as you said, yeah, there's really no element that is under-considered. Wonderful and truly memorable performances. Some really great songs. Uh, top-tier production design with all sorts of, like, really creative tweaks and uh, and takes. And the breaking new ground in, in a number of different ways. So, for sure, a standout movie that has earned its place as a classic.
3: So one of my big questions, I know we were going to do questions at the end, but I think it's relevant because I would agree with Connor and Dave in that it's a visual feast. I mean, the color palette is stunning. Uh, all of the practical effects, the painted sets look beautiful. Mm. And it, it you, it's like, you know, it's a set, but it's so gorgeous. It's so immersive that it doesn't need to, to kind of look like a real for, It looks like just a stunningly designed magical forest that's not supposed to look like real life, but that's just a, supposed to feel so inviting and immersive. I mean, can't the Kansas sets looked awesome. Those kind of looked real life and that tornado looks amazing. So clearly they were operating on a huge budget. I mean, I looked... Up, a, I have a whole lot to say about Toto and Terry. Apparently, <laughs> Terry was paid the paid $124 a week, which was something like $2,800 a week in today's dollars. He was paid more than any of the other performers in the entire cast. So all that is to say... Well, it
1: was I mean, paid more than some members of the cast.
3: Okay, well, I don't... <laughs> okay. It paid more than many of them. I, so all of that is to say, I'm assuming that the budget for this type of movie was really, really high. And so my question is, and maybe this is a sort of a sideline, but does somebody like James Cameron think that they are making like the next Wizard of Oz? Like does James Cameron watch Avatar Way of Water and be like a hundred years from now, people will look at my movie and think that it's Stands the test of time and is amazing as we are doing to the Wizard of Oz. Like this is a true question. Like what is going on in somebody like James Cameron's mind when he like blows the budget making something that's supposed to like, you know, be revolutionary in its production techniques.
1: I think James Cameron does believe that. I think that is one particular example of a director that probably does believe that. When it comes to its budget, it's so
3: sad because The Wizard of Oz is not Avatar: Way of Water.
1: Well, it's also made for uh, like I think like around two and a half million dollars, which when you adjust for inflation is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about forty-two. So, even by today's standards, it's a relatively low budget, huge blockbuster.
3: Interesting. Okay, so it's not as much as I would think for accounting for inflation. At the time,
0: it was the most expensive Hollywood budget ever. Yeah, that is also true. Okay. And it it did not make back its money.
3: Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. I'm sure we'll go all the way into production details. But like, while I was watching this, I was like, this is so beautiful. And I know probably very, very costly.
5: You know, now you have me wondering, like, is there a Wizard of Oz of every generation? Because Wizard of Oz is like my grandma. What? What's my mom's? What's ours? I don't know if if that has happened yet, or if it ever could. But this movie feels like I'm sitting on the couch and my mom comes behind me and puts the most like the fuzziest most comfortable blanket that I have just around my shoulders and I like cuddle up with it and I have like my cat on my lap and I'm just like completely comfortable and safe and I don't really have to worry too much about anything that's what this movie feels like and I know that it was a a terrible time in people's lives um, when they were filming (laughs) so I do feel like there's a part of me that feels bad saying that I think that at least it has lived for almost a hundred years. I mean, can you say that about anything else? Really, I, I, I don't know. And Connor, when you said a hundred years, that like shook me to my core.
0: <laughs> I mean, cinema, you know, is has, yeah, literature so infinitely you know, so much older than cinema. So I think it, it was really fascinating going back to one of the early like landmark films of of this genre that we've been talking about for 200 episodes. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's influence. I think is just undeniable, which I thought was really enjoyable of going back to it. I forget that somewhere over the rainbow was from the wizard of Oz. Like that's how much that particular song has outgrown the movie, at least in, in terms of my awareness, like, Oh yeah, this is from the wizard of Oz. And I think a great place to start, I think is with Judy Garland, um, who is just a revelation in this movie. She is absolutely fantastic as Dorothy, and I feel so bad for all the terrible things that she had to go through uh, throughout the production of this movie. But I think similar to Luke Skywalker, she is a great audience POV to anchor us through this weird and wacky journey through Oz. And her performance is just, uh, I feel like it's hard to talk about. So genuine, it's so moving, um, so sweet but she doesn't quite feel too one note. She has some, you know, kind of characterization going on. And I think she's just a really wonderful, Dorothy's just such a wonderful character to explore this world through and to uh, see her encounter all these really strange things throughout Oz.
1: It's very much like a kind of Neo audience surrogate. Very much uh, someone that uh, ca- like comes to discover things at the same rate that the audience does and goes through those motions in a very affecting and effective way.
3: I would argue though, a more animated performance than Keanu. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that, <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> I would just love to see those roles swapped, like either Judy Garland <laughs> starring in The Matrix <laughs> or Keanu, like sort of like very uh neutral kind of one note um reactions to the Wizard of Oz would be a wonderful. Um I'm sure, I'm sure an AI can generate it one of these days. (laughs) And I don't think
1: we're in Kansas anymore.
3: (laughs) Toto, Toto, where are you? Have you gone from me? Um, Yeah, I think that would be, (laughs) I think that would be amazing. Um, Yeah. I mean, Judy Garland, as you said, Connor, yeah, the whole conversation around her treatment within this production, within Hollywood world generally, and, you know, what she went through throughout her career is is really, really sad. Uh, but she truly was one of a kind and between her singing, she's a great mover, like her little, you know, she doesn't dancing sequences, but clearly like, you know, the scarecrow and the, uh, lion and the tin man are like movers and dancers. She's like right there doing a lot of the, the, the footwork and it's really compelling to watch. And yeah. I mean, I really enjoy it. Like I, her star is born version is so good. I mean, if you want to see Judy Garland, like dancing and singing, that is quite, quite amazing production, but she's just magnetic to look at. Like, I feel like I, just as I am, was so immersed and drawn into the, the color palette and the set design of the entire production, her her face and her facial expressions are so immersive and just pull you in as well. And it's like her reactions, you know, as far as her character development, I wouldn't say that it's groundbreaking in any way, but she just pulls and rings every feeling out of the scene where it's like she's reacting kind of in the same ways, but it feels different because you just want to watch her face and watch her respond and watch her like share scenes with other characters and feel this kind of really compelling energy. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I, she like expresses the
1: wonder of all of this. The wonder and
3: and innocence, but it's like so attentive. It's like attentive innocence. That's like kind of unparalleled. And I think it also it's her performance. And I do think that the direction is, is really artful, you know, and Captures all all of the characters, like all four of them, especially, like the the trio and then Dorothy. Um but yeah, I mean it's just amazing to watch her. And she has,
5: Christine, you said like innocent attention just making everything feel so intimate. Like it's between her and just that one other person. And even when it's the yeah. larger group, like the very end, when she's saying goodbye to Tin Man, Scarecrow and the, the Cowardly Line, when she pulls the Scarecrow aside and says like, I think I'll miss you most of all. Everybody's standing right there, but it's still
3: such a beautiful and precious <laughs> moment. It's so, uh, tender. <laughs> so
1: tender. It is. It, it, it absolutely is. It's very affecting, but I did want the Tin Man to kind of like turn to the line and be like, Oh, I guess we'll, touch base with scarecrow if we need to reach out the door that i don't fuck. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: like what
5: the fuck man um I know, and you know i think when i was a kid I, I modeled a lot of my behavior like a little kid after dorothy but i mean who didn't and dorothy like maybe doesn't have the the most dynamic character development however i think that you know her whole thing is going back home and and understanding the importance of home but it's so much more than that you watch her become one of the bravest people that we're introduced to in the beginning she's afraid of miss gulch she's like don't take my dog don't take my dog like leaving it up to uh, her the do- adults in her life and then she's basically fighting a lion in the forest and saying shame on you and it happens quickly but she's just great she's a good a good pure soul.
0: Yeah, I think a great case in a character not necessarily changing, like growing, but coming to an inner truth that she kind of knew all along, uh, which is not that easy to pull off. And so I thought that's kind of what stood to me at the end of her journey, is she had the answers all along, just like everybody had the answers all along when they speak to the wizard. And I guess that brings us to the main trio who assists Dorothy throughout her adventure uh the scarecrow tin man cowardly lion um just like dorothy these are incredibly iconic characters and i didn't realize as a kid that these were people in her real life it wasn't until like the end of the like that was a, a huge shock and a twist for me as a little kid <laughs> I Remember at the end of the movie they, oh they're the pe- oh, they're her friend their family ah. and i just think they're such a wonderful. Uh, they have such a wonderful presence in, in this film, both uh, physically through performance, uh, acting and dancing and singing, uh, and thematic resonance as well in terms of, you know, the, I think what a great message for kids too is that to spoil the end of The Wizard of Oz, you know, um, the scarecrow wants a brain, Tin Man wants a heart, Lion wants courage, but they had all of these you know these aspects that they wanted all along inside of them. And I think that's just a, a wonderful message to have. And I assume that's taken from the book. That's such a wonderful message to have in a movie aimed at families and children as well. Uh, I think just what a great message to take away from this ultra popular movie. I'm glad it has a really nice and positive, heartfelt, genuine message. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on this? the trio? Maybe you know, chat about how she encounters them or do you have a favorite? Tell me what you how you guys feel about the three.
5: I just I love them so much. And I think what's great is that Dorothy embodies like all three of those characteristics so well. And I think like, that's kind of our gauge of how we can see how these characters actually have those attributes, right? Like she is so smart. She is so brave and she has so much heart. You're like, well, then they do too. And I think that they had it all along and she rubs off on them quite a bit. But, I think Scarecrow was always my favorite, but the one that intrigued me the most was the Tin Man because he's kind of scary a little bit. I, I know that's odd to say, but just stumbling upon a man like frozen in time and then having to oil his mouth open—that was so such a foreign concept to me as a kid. To be like, can that really happen? Obviously, no, but it's strange and unusual.
1: It's also yeah, literally a uh, a man made of metal without a heart. Dun 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 dun. Very very Terminator.
3: Very t- yeah.
1: <laughs> There's a version of this movie that is a, a massacre at the hands of the Tin Man because he doesn't have a heart. Uh, they're all great. Um, the performances are wonderful. Some wonderful like vaudeville acting, uh, especially on the part of the Scarecrow. Uh, Ray Bulger, who just knocks it out of the park. He was always my favorite because he is perhaps the most like physically animated and uh, magnetic of the performers. Although I, I always did have a soft spot for the Lion, just such a, a wonderfully comic performance and such a self-aware performance, and so self-effacing. Really, like going the extra mile to commit to this this cowardly facade as it applies thematically and. It, it's yeah, all of them are great.
3: Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to pick. I mean, I agree with Dave. Uh, so much of the movement of the Scarecrow, I absolutely love, and I think we had wonderful conversation when we talked about Singing in the Rain and all the great movement in that. And I feel like a lot of the Scarecrow movement kind of reminds me of the choreography in Singing in the Rain, the sort of floppy. Like floppy movement that's yet so precise at the same time, which I just love.
0: I got um, a lot of that too. Yeah. I was going to say it's interesting. This film's an interesting time capsule, of the golden age of Hollywood, the aesthetics of it, the movement of it, the casting of it, the politics of it, uh, and the behind the scenes drama of it. Uh, so it's really interesting seeing a golden age picture in 2023 and these elements of films that we've talked about in the past. And yeah, I was also getting big singing in the rain vibes.
3: I also, yeah, like uh, the lions when he uh, is crowned as King and this, the over the top operatic uh, number he does is so funny. And so enjoyable and there's i mean there's so much warmth in like all of their performances but i think that each one of them has a very distinct vibe and it's showcased in the way they sing and the way they move and uh yeah i love it the way he says forest for uh, i can't even all of the trills (laughs) all of the trilling is absolutely wonderful
0: this is such a small detail, but what I found pretty incredible this time. I mean, the costuming. Uh, I think the Tin Man's a little iffy, but uh, generally, <laughs> the costuming is really spectacular. And I don't know how they got the lion's tail to move like that. Is it a puppet? Like a basically a puppet where a guy's holding like a like a stick and moving it around? Is it tied to a wire in the set? Like that tail was just moving so naturally and so unpredictably. And that just, in a good way, like, just caught my eye every time. It's, like, a really great... Because you could... There's a version where the tail just drags along him. uh, But the fact that the tail just, like, feel like he's a creature, I thought was a really excellent touch. That a detail that really didn't need to be in there doesn't add anything to the plot, but just builds um, the sense of, you know, of just character and and world.
1: As to his character, though, there's times when, like, he's, like, unconsciously gnawing on his own tail because he's so frightened and stuff, so... Yeah, it's it's not only a great practical effect, but narratively functional, which is awesome.
0: Great point. And I how think about the, the how about the witch? Yeah, that's that's what I was going to bring up next. Um, <laughs> Margaret Hamilton, the Wicked Witch of the West, arguably just as iconic as Dorothy um, in pop culture. Uh, it's so funny when it cuts to her like one-liners. It's like, oh, I've seen this in like clip shows, or you know, like the great movie ride at Disney has like a whole thing about the set and. Um, So many iconic clips. I feel like just as many come from the Wicked Witch of the West as come from Dorothy. An interesting villain. I wish she could have got a little more time. Uh,
1: But the movies. A lot of her time was cut because uh, it was found in test audiences to be too frightening for children.
0: Well, clearly the film was still frightening (laughs) for children. (laughs) But the I. It's really interesting thinking about the world of Oz through the witch of the west of what is this regime going on what is happening here in some way she wants justice for the death of her sister which is like a totally like you know sympathize with that kind of with her position that she's in of course she wants the slippers um and we get some really great effects moments of practical effects with um her character god just so iconic and just a real a great villain to just watch throughout the whole film, especially when she spells Dorothy's like name in the sky, <laughs> like surrender
5: Dorothy. How long it takes? You're like, are
3: uh, everybody just watching this?
1: I was gonna say it's like at one like, point everybody gets video. lunch, and it's just like, well, I'll come back to this later. Big V villain energy happening here.
3: I mean, it makes total sense, like why Wicked came out. I mean, there's so much back, like like the idea of like her being like misunderstood and that there's so much that we don't know from just the wizard of Oz. Yeah. Anyhow, but yeah, it's because she's so compelling that like, for sure, there's much more complexity to like, her life and, you know, her desires, etc. cetera.
4: Yeah. I've
1: got a theory that I'll save for section, uh, that, uh, a question section that explains a lot of uh, the, the politics of Oz as it applies to the storyline. But I know
5: people love Wicked, and I haven't seen it. I haven't read, like, the books, what have you. Um, Sometimes I I like when villains are just evil, and there's, like, not reason for it. I think this is one instance where I don't mind a reason for it. Um, But I do love that she just, like, shows up when her sister dies, and it's like, who did this? Give me the shoes. So it's like, yeah, she's, like, (laughs) a little sad, but it's mostly about the shoes. And I get it. The like, shoes have magical properties. But I really wonder, like, what if if she got the shoes, what would she do with them? Like, I, I want to know that. But also, like, I have felt that way about a pair of shoes before. I understand.
1: <laughs> it's
0: a relatable villain. Yeah. It was. Uh, I couldn't help but think of Thanos in the Marvel movies of, like, we have 20 movies to understand why he wants. He has the gauntlet. He wants the jewelry. And what he and what he's gonna do with those with uh, the Infinity Stones? Wicked Witch, she wants them. She's gonna get them. It's kind of we don't we don't <laughs> think we need much more. Just an interesting, just a, a funny parallel between two villains. And just how great I I just got to give a shout out to uh, the effect of her just like the smoke rising and her descending like clearly you know descending down into the set. But just every time that red smoke blooms, um, it's it's off-putting it's disturbing and her disappearing it, it, it worked it looks great i think every time and especially when she dies at the end that disappearing effect is i think which is really outstanding and very disturbing
3: that moment was sort of anticlimactic in that like it's just this off-handed water i like always because that scene i had seen before and because it's so iconic and i just it, i just forget that it it's just a little bit of water and so sort of even off camera like appears and then gets on her and then she melts i was like oh wait there's no fake out like she's dead oh wait that is how she dies that felt a little anticlimactic to me
1: i tried to find like witch lore in prepping for this episode that relates to them being defeated by water and outside of like you know the witch trials uh, it really didn't have much expression or, or much historical root. One thing that, though, is interesting. I did see one interpretation that is that it's not the act of throwing water on her. It's the act of kindness. Because the witch is on fire and Dorothy panics and throws water on her. That okay, maybe that so is what defeats the, the
4: witch. Water.
1: Although at the same time Because if it is the water, it's like this has got to be like one of those workplaces where you step outside to smoke. You can't have buckets of water in here. <laughs> it's an OSHA
3: Yeah. Hazard. Well, you know, maybe the the writers went forward in time, watched an amazing, maybe possibly our generation's Wizard of Oz, a.k.a. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan's Signs, and <laughs> saw that water is what ultimately destroys the aliens, and then the writers went back to the 1930s, and then was like, all right, I figured it out.
0: It wouldn't be a celebratory episode of Butter with that if Christine didn't bring up M. Night Shyamalan and Signs. <laughs>
3: Thank God. Sam raised the question of what is our generation's Wizard of Oz, and I just threw that out there. You know? no The through line bad is that both is
1: Yeah, the through line being that both villains are uh, living in a world with a lot of water, but are destroyed by it.
5: And green. Weirdly green.
3: Guys, I think we're onto something. There's a lot of um, cornfields and hay in Bucks County.
5: Not to keep saying how relatable the,
2: <laughs> the wicked witches,
5: but I've definitely had days ruined where like gotten a little bit wet. Like not that anybody has thrown water on me. I mean it'd be weird if that happened, but I've definitely been like, I don't know this outfit is ruined. And you know, like I've I maybe I haven't melted at all, but like I've certainly felt that way. So I get it. I see her.
1: Well, like speaking of ruined outfits and green makeup. And uh, Trap doors and Puffs of Smoke. There are some pretty grueling production notes about this movie that are pretty interesting. Not the least of which being what, ins- what kind of inspired it as an investment. MGM invested in an adaptation of L. Frank Baum's l- book, largely because of the success of Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Uh, the studio employed several screenwriters, including Florence Ryerson, Noah Langley, and Edgar Allan Wolfe, all of whom worked on separate treatments without one another's knowledge which is pretty unusual even of the era. After several different treatments were submitted to the studio, a hodgepodge of different scripts, uh, largely unified into a shooting script by director Victor Fleming, was approved. During filming, several directors cycled in and out, but it was ultimately Fleming who was credited. Uh, As for production design, which we've talked about uh, to varying extents, uh, it was pretty exhaustive. Reportedly, it took the crew several weeks to commit to the particular shade of yellow used for the yellow brick road. Also, really exhaustive and exhausting in and of the shoot itself. Due uh, largely to the lighting necessary for Technicolor, some sets stood at excess of 100 degrees. Uh, particularly daunting demand for uh, Bert Lahr, who uh, played the Cowardly Lion and whose suit was made of actual lion skin and weighed about 90 pounds.
3: Jesus, you can see in some of the close-ups just the sweat dripping across their makeup. And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, it's kind of working because... It could be tears, you know, but you're like, no, 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 no. That set is probably so hot.
1: It's amazing that the makeup holds up, especially because of like the demand of Technicolor lighting and everything.
3: The makeup design
1: Uh, is absolutely stunning.
3: I couldn't
5: help but think about all of that because of like the the snow being asbestos and like what is in all of that?
1: Well, the the makeup was uh, kind of one of those problems. The foam latex masks used for the Scarecrow made by Jack Dawn actually left lines on the face of Ray Bulger, uh, the actor playing the Scarecrow, for about a year. Uh, so pretty oh. tough experience in that regard.
3: Yeah, it looks um, good but terrible for people. Yeah.
1: Uh, as, as goes with a lot of this. For example, of course, Judy Garland, who had it the worst. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit. According to... Several accounts to maintain a more childlike appearance, her chest was bound, and she was wearing a corset for most of it, uh, some of it made of steel, and was prescribed uh, Benzedrine, among other uppers and downers, to cut her weight at the studio's demand. Uh, The combination of medications caused frequent giggling fits on set, one of them prompting director Fleming to smack her in the face on set, an abuse so dastardly that upon recognizing what he'd done demanded that the crew punch him in the face. Garland instead reportedly answered his demand by way of a peck on the cheek.
3: There are so many layers to how fucked That is, (laughs) we won't fully, it's just like, whoa, so much going on.
1: And yeah, and Garland uh, was also via her biography reportedly harassed by several of the Munchkin actors on set, uh, coupled by allegations of a groping incident at the hands of MGM co-founder Louis B. Meyer.
5: Wait, wait, hold on. She was being harassed by the Munchkins?
1: Yeah, supposedly that was something that was happening on set.
5: I thought that. Do you, Do you all remember this? Um, there's like one scene right at the at the very beginning when they first set off on the Yellow Brick Road. Um, I think it's like right after the trees and they're throwing the apples. They're like, mm-hmm. and you could see someone hang themselves.
3: It, I feel like it's people say it's in like every scene. It's like the flying monkeys. It's like, is this true? Or is this one of these things that's just spread around?
1: Like a lot of the history of the production history of this movie, that's pretty apocryphal. There's one suggestion that at one point the MGM lion was to play the cowardly lion and would be dubbed, which that's got to be nonsense. As far as this hanging incident goes, there's a suggestion that in one of the shots when uh, they're singing, We're off to see the wizard after the first meet and joined forces with the Tin Man, that as they're going along the Yellowbrook Road in the background, you can prominently see pretty much center frame through the background uh, one of the Munchkin actors having hung themselves. This has been pretty roundly refuted on several fronts. Uh, apparently, it largely has to do with the retouching of the the film for the purposes of, like, TV broadcast. And, like, clearer images being available to analyze after the fact and everything. Several big problems with the story. Chief among them that uh, the Munchkin actors did not arrive on set until after they had already shot that sequence. And uh, also the fact that uh, the production made use of several exotic birds to populate the backgrounds of some of the forests. Uh, including probably this crane that's seen in the background, which if you watch it on HBO is pretty obviously and clearly a bird. And it also begs the question of this being uh, shot in a studio uh, and the backgrounds being painted, which, you know, if one of these Munchkin actors was able to hang themselves from a painted tree, that would be pretty impressive. So uh, pretty much debunked all around as far as that story goes. But uh, a handful of other production notes Real quickly, um, uh, Margaret Hamilton, uh, the Wicked Witch of the West, also did not have a very good time filming this movie. Uh, the iconic green makeup was toxic if ingested, forcing her to subsist solely on liquids throughout the shoot. Uh, she, when going through one of the trap doors in the very impressive and, uh, as we have discussed, pretty iconic flame up uh, transitions through the trap doors, there was an instance of her being pretty severely burned and having to take six weeks off to recover. Uh, When she was asked to reshoot it and cited her safety concerns, she was ultimately proven right as her stunt double was severely injured when the elevator didn't properly function. Uh, Also, as Sam touched on, the effect of falling snowflakes on the field during the flowery field sequence was achieved using asbestos. And uh, some of the animals did fare a little bit better, but not too much. The horse of many colors was actually several horses painted in between takes using jello powder. Reportedly I was really the, hoping not. <laughs> and reportedly, the shooting was a challenge as the horses kept licking off their own coloring.
3: No. Um, and if jello is made of horse jello, <laughs> then that's pretty fucked up. Up. <laughs> this is the worst thing i have that's today. the <laughs> worst thing and i just i just watched nope for the first times so like all i'm thinking about is like like animals on set <laughs> that's why i looked up, up about terry so this also relates deep in my terry research i also saw that terry the car caring terrier plays toto got his paw broken because one of the witch's guards stepped on his paw and either broke or sprained it, depending on the source you read. And she had to go rest and recover for like six weeks of production. And they had a stand in for rehearsals. But the cute thing is, is apparently Judy Garland and Terry slash Toto had a role bond. So uh, Terry recovered in Judy Garland's house. And she ended up really love loving her the dog so much. She tried to buy uh, Terry from the owners, but the owners were like, "No, we're not gonna we're gonna sell Terry." But it sounds like they really got along, and you can really tell because yeah, she yeah she does so many scenes with with Terry. I was like, I was like hoping that they would have gotten along and had like a bond.
1: And Terry, uh, it's funny the injury did go on to be in thirteen other films. So pretty yeah, prolific, prolific dog prolific career. Co-
3: Exactly, what? and had made a full recovery, and well,
5: we don't know. Maybe didn't make a full. What other movies? Also, you saying that this dog was so highly paid? What the? Fu- Where am I? What am I missing?
3: Oh, that was one thing,
1: Christine. You suggested at the beginning. That uh yeah, according to the research I saw, it's a little up in the air as, as to whether or not this is actually accurate. But uh several of the things I read suggested that the. Uh, the Munchkin actors were actually paid uh, fifty dollars a week, as opposed to Terry's one hundred and twenty-five.
3: That's so fucked. So Judy Garland was not paid less than Terry. No, I wouldn't think so. <laughs> so the source I read, which was definitely not a credible source, was like Terry was the highest paid performer. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe like if the same calculations for dog versus human years apply to salaries, and there is like. <laughs> dog salary in human dollar you know there's, there's some conversion there i feel like that could be um could be calculated <laughs> it's like species mortality inflation <laughs> <laughs> dear lord all right somebody listeners crunch the numbers or make up make up the conversion formula
0: well good for terry and terry does a lot of good work in the wizard toto also incredibly iconic i mean it's hard to find something not iconic but Um, Toto, Dorothy's fateful canine companion. Uh, And that dog hops out of baskets, runs around, um, acts a little. Uh, I love when he (laughs) runs up to the crew and is like, oh, he's telling us that we need to follow him to get Dorothy. It's so cute. Like, this way, we gotta go. Uh, Terry was just so adorable. little handshake that he does at one point, which is really great.
1: Oh, that during, uh, also, yeah, uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, which was one of the first songs that they thought about cutting it barely made the movie that's crazy
0: yeah apparently they thought it slowed the picture down too much
3: oh but the picture hadn't ramped up the tornado hadn't even come like it's not like they killed the momentum i mean it's it's like the pleasantry of kansas you know the like wonderful sort of pastoral views and pace of farm life yeah. I mean, yeah, they had like dropped somewhere in the over the rainbow and like, I don't know, the middle of the haunted forest, maybe.
0: Well, and, and the whole music is just so incredible. And that's such a great, you know, reprisal theme as she's going through Oz that it's, you can't imagine the film without it. I just straight up, you cannot mm-hmm. imagine the film with really any of the songs, but especially um, somewhere over the rainbow. Also, Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead. Like, this movie fucking brutal when it comes to death it's like yeah death a house got dropped on the someone hooray oh did you oh she's dead congrats dorothy you killed the wicked witch of the west yay but they it's suck
1: not, they do it's never that they're gone it's you killed her you really killed her yeah
5: i have had the so i rewatched the movie last night and i'm so glad i did at, at first i was like i know this movie so well i don't have to but Brought a lot of joy to me. I've had the music stuck in my head all day. I'm like... Uh, I do want to say, can we talk about the fucking Twister? How it looks pretty good. And I was like, oh, fucking shit. So when she's in the cyclone, uh, there's a cow at one point. Like, obviously. But I was like, oh, my God. Is this the reference
3: in Twister? Twister. I feel like this movie outtwists Twister in so many ways. You know, like obviously Twister is iconic, but like the the all of the fans and the shit flying everywhere and all just the shots in the house, like it's so the exterior storm transition into the interior storm is seamless. It looks so good and so effective and you can tell some moments where the the film is clearly uh, sped up a little bit, but it 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 still looks really really terrifying and creates such a sense of chaos. Uh, I was I was like, this movie's really given Twister that came a bajillion years later run for its money. My favorite is though, when the house is flying through the air and it's like the screen through the window and grandma's knitting in the chair, it just waves at her. I'm like, this is like out of like a David Lynch movie or like David, I feel like yeah. just the sort of the surreal quality of this storm in this farmhouse and just waving grandma. Very precious oh. moment.
1: Also, yeah, not for nothing. You you witness in real time the birth of Tim Burton's aesthetic when you see those, the witch like stripe, like black and white striped socks curl in.
3: Th- oh, that's Tim, yes. that's Tim Burton.
1: That's Tim Burton.
3: It looks so good. Yeah, the sh- the shriveled foot that curls in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So
1: also good. the uh, yeah the tornado achieved uh, by a thirty five foot muslin cloth uh, that was wrung along a wire. Uh, with dust uh, kind of pouring out of the bottom of it to achieve that incredible and extremely convincing effect,
3: probably not a great workplace uh, environment either. I'm sure, like, dust was inhaled and it was not safe, but looked great. A
1: cloth? I'm shook. What? Yeah, also, Connor, I know um you you to know the the incredible history behind. That transition between uh, the sepia and black and white sequence into the full color, the full super saturated technicolor uh, that we're treated to in the movie that makes it, uh, uh, we're using the word iconic an awful lot, but it's such a such a striking moment. Um, so I'm sure you have some thoughts on that.
0: Dave, I'm so glad you brought that moment up because I was going to bring it up right after our discussion. I was talking about the house and the tornado and Dorothy getting to Oz. You know it's coming after the house lands. You know that, okay, she's in Oz. Uh, So the film is in the sepia tone, black and white, very standard kind of look. Um, But one thing that struck me before I get to the door opening moment is just how the movie kind of slows down. We have this very intense tornado scene. uh, And then it takes about probably like 90 seconds before we kind of get the door open to go on the Oz as she looks at her surroundings. Really the last vestiges of Kansas uh, for an audience is like we're kind of taking this in. And then this was, was this the first Technicolor movie, Dave, shot in t- with Technicolor? I don't know
1: that it was the first. I'm pretty sure the technology had been developed a little bit before, which is why the set was so demanding and hot in particular, because of all the lighting. So the, it was a familiar technology, but still, you know, relatively uh, within its infancy. It's also falsely remembered as the first movie to feature color, which it's not. But it the shift is astonishing. <laughs>
5: I think it's the first to use two at the same time, and like might be.
0: Yeah. yeah. And how they achieve that is is just incredible. So house lands. Dorothy walks through it, arrives at the front door. Camera cuts, if I'm remembering this correctly, cuts to Judy Garland, then cuts back to the front door. We see Dorothy's back holding Toto in her left hand. Uh, and she opens the door and you see the colorful world through and without cutting you then see Dorothy from behind walk out into Oz. And that's what I learned this just a few years ago, two different actors. The home set was painted to be sepia toned. They did up the body double of Judy Garland to be in that sepia tone color. Uh, I just realized yesterday they got a um, stump double for Toto, a body double for um, Toto and the body double steps away in and, and the same frame from the exact same location. Judy Garland walks out in full glorious Technicolor into Oz. Uh, I watched that three times. Rewind. I kept
3: rewinding it. I was like, this looks so and good. like, there's got
0: to be some way where you can, t-. it's like, it's so seamless. Uh, and it's, I, I feel like that's some of the greatest movie tricks is when you don't even think about it. Like you your brain doesn't even know it's a trick. It just is the movie. It just mm-hmm. is the magic that's presented in front of you and i think that is truly a moment of like you can touch that movie magic like that you can point to movie magic that 30 second moment um and then letting dorothy experience oz for a significant time of just taking it in of not rushing i mean this movie is moves at a clip but it knows when to slow down uh and dorothy's revival into oz um is a really great example of uh, just editing of just knowing how to pace your film for the audience
3: and let the audience absorb all of the dimensions of the set. I feel like Willy Wonka definitely was inspired by this movie because
4: mm-hmm.
3: the, the set, the built set, the painted sets, even the color palette, I feel like there's so many similarities and clearly Wizard of Oz, wizard of Oz did it first, but like that, When they step into their first chocolate room, there's that same pacing of just like, whoa, just take it all in. It's like the characters are taking it in and we are just watching this uh, like space kind of unfold before our eyes.
1: Yeah, just uh, such a such a tangible work as far as production design and practical effects.
0: And like it just doesn't make it seem so easy in some ways, you know, like we can spend, George Lucas can spend billions of dollars or whatever on, you know, this the prequel trilogy of Star Wars movies and they look like shit. 2 and 3 do not hold up. But yet Wizard of Oz made in 1939, the majority of the effects still hold up, which is just kind of mind blowing.
1: Practical filmmaking.
0: Just um please don't let your don't uh don't pour asbestos on your actors. That's not the lesson. way though.
1: Oh right, yeah, there is that.
3: <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I just feel like for me, and I thought, stuff we liked, which we've talked about a lot, and then transitioning to questions, because, man, there are just a lot of questions about this world. And I think that's the fun part of just doing a nerdy movie podcast and being movie nerds is like just asking unnecessary questions. One little one that I have, and this I guess this also is like lines or problems that we have with the movie. The Cowardly Lion, what is the what is his version of, of courage? He has a whole song about it, and he says, what separates a king from a slave is courage. It's a very troubling line. <laughs> it's really question uh, the Cowardly Lion, and what is courage in, in this world? I don't think we have an answer, but that's just one moment. I, I had to bring it up before I forgot, so I open the floor to any other questions that folks have.
5: Okay, this isn't a question, but you talking about this just reminded me of after they meet the wizard and the cowardly line runs away, and he fucking swan dives out of the castle. I out the window, right? Like, what the fuck?
1: Also, yeah, really quick, not for nothing. The the line of uh, "ignore the man behind the curtain" is uh, an absolute crack up every time. So, well, okay. I have a working theory, yeah, again, about uh, the politics of Oz here. So I think Glinda is doing a, a proxy war. I think this is a soft coup. So Dorothy shows up. She's killed the uh, Wicked Witch of the uh, the East. Uh, and she's the first one to show up in her little bubble being like, oh, here's the situation. By the way, uh, you, you've, uh, easily cleaved out uh, you know, one of my competitors here. And uh, just so you know, it's really gonna piss off uh, her sister, the Wicked Witch of the West, who then shows up. And then she, uh, Glinda, says to, uh, after the Wicked Witch has left, says to Dorothy like, well, you know, if you wanna get out of here, maybe you should go talk to the wizard. Cause maybe he can get you out of this. Now the whole time we discover at the end when the wizard leaves on his hot air balloon and she's missed it, then and again, Glinda shows up and is like, oh, Well, all you had to do was tap your feet together and wish to be home. She could have said that then, but instead, she decides, you know what, I'm going to sit on this information. I'm going to send her to dethrone, this outsider, to dethrone another outsider, this supposed wizard, and also, perhaps in the process, defeat the Wicked Witch of the West. And uh, why would I do all this, knowing that I could easily have gotten her out of this situation by just telling her to tap her feet together? Coup.
5: You know what, you're right, because she's also clearly watching the whole time when she puts the snow on the poppies. This bitch was
3: ready.
0: Roxy war. coup.
3: <laughs> yeah, she's power-hungry, conniving, yeah.
0: You can't even call it 4D chess, because it's so obvious.
3: <laughs> Her intentions?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Also, not for nothing, like when, when she shows up to the wizard, like the, the first time the wizard sends her off and is like, hey, listen, if you can get this broomstick back from the Wicked Witch of the West, that'd be cool, and then we can call it even, and I'll help you out. She shows up and is like, hey, I have your broomstick. And he's like, oh, cool, I've been waiting for that. And she's like, yeah, I killed the witch. And you would think he's like, whoa, that's not what
0: I asked you to do. Second witch in as many days. Calm down. The wizard is such an interesting figure, and I think who most of my questions revolve around of course this is uh James Franco, right? From that Sam Raimi. Dave, you love Sam Raimi? I do right? love Sam
1: Raimi. But man, the uh, yeah, what is that movie called the uh Oz the uh, Great and Powerful? Oz the Great and Powerful. Boy, that movie's
0: uh junk. Um <laughs> such a such a bizarre like so the uh, people of Oz just let this guy rule? I guess he I guess the charlatan won an entire nation of people over.
5: <laughs> Doesn't sound <Well>. possible.
0: <laughs> I and I just love I guess going back just diving into the Wizard I love the green palace. It reminds me of the Vader Luke fight in Bespin in empire strikes back. Like, I don't know why, just like the, the dark colors, like the ways the hallways are shaped, the silence, the metallic sounds going through. I don't know. Just like, I just loved how the wizard's palace is so different than everything else that we've seen. So alien, so foreign. And he had giant, like Marlon Brando, like in Superman, (laughs) giant, uh, hologram floating above with pyrotechnics.
3: Or in, uh, po- in Power Rangers, that's what it always reminds me. It's you. a total oh,
0: Megazord, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Power! You know, no, Zorg, was- Zorg? Yeah. Zart- Zart- No, that's yeah. Zorg, Zorg.
5: It's Zord. It's Zord, and he's like, because well, that's why it's a Megazord. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: thank you. That that was so clear, Sam. Um, so I just like his whole operation and how he. Keep- I guess Oz is just kind of chugging along, and he just they need someone to just plug in and. He knows a few pyrotechnics and a few tricks And then he just leaves He's ready to take toward the, I don't know how the balloon works And flies away Never trust a man, I think that's what A man who thinks he knows everything
5: <laughs> You know what, you're right And second, you know At the end of the day I can't even believe I'm gonna fucking do this Um Who says he's wrong, right? I mean, he he was able to like Use his like tricks and whistles To get here and the people were like, mm-hmm. "Who's to say he's wrong?" Many, I'm sure, but like, whatever.
0: He's clearly a benevolent ruler. Oz is thriving. Everybody seems pretty happy. Yeah, I guess it's going pretty well across the he's board. He's a
3: complicated huh? guy because you have so many. Like, I feel like this character represents so much that's wrong with power and mm. like government leaders and everything like that. And uh, yeah, but at the same time. There are moments where his intentions really do seem genuine. With the same with her interactions uh with the same guy, basically in her real life. It's like part of the scene is to reveal kind of the the trickery behind uh like soothsaying and you know cold magic reading, ball yeah. Reading. But at the same time, it just reveals a character that can like read her situation in and in that she's run away and people that she's run away from clearly care about I mean he saw it in the picture but I think that there's definitely that moment where he provides her the information that that feels real and feels genuine in the same vein when they meet Oz he's a charlatan but it but all of the things that he says, you know, the badges he gives and the, the understanding that it's sort of like fake credentials sort of certify you as something, but it was within you all along feels like such a wonderful thing to impart, you know? Um, and so I don't know. I, cause I've seen the end and my My thinking was always that he was a really conniving or like very calculating charlatan, but he's really just kind of a guy who's kind of just trying to do his thing. But he also is, uh, is wealthy and powerful and it all, you know, is a facade, but
1: he does shout Mm -hmm. silence a lot for someone benevolent,
3: (laughs) (laughs) but it's the same guy, right? Who's the door guard, the chariot rider. You know, so he's kind of working all parts and and labor parts of his kingdom or whatever. He's working in all the jobs. He's like the secret shopper of his own uh like building and kingdom.
0: Undercover boss. Uh, he's undercover the
3: under boss. that's the the undercover boss of his own building.
1: Yeah, that that being Frank Morgan who plays five parts in
0: the movie. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot of The Wizard of Oz. Of course there's more to cover, but it's you know, you could talk all day about this movie, but as it feels like as our discussion is sort of rounding out. Any final moments, parts, songs, any kind of any last areas you want to touch on with The Wizard of Oz?
3: Oh, one question I might have missed it. When does her hair change? Dorothy's hair go from pigtails to like cute bouffant thing?
5: When they get ready to go see the wizard and they're all getting like shined and
3: Oh, um,
1: Right. They have that like pretty okay. woman sequence. Yeah.
3: I miss, I I get I I must have like it must have just passed right by me because it wasn't literally until the end where I was like, holy shit, her hair changed. I mean, it looks gorgeous. But I was like, when did this happen? Okay. Got I'm it. Time my eyes to match my gown. Question answered.
1: Also, really great that they wait to reveal the lion at the very end of that progression of everyone getting made over because it provides like the most like garish and like decorative version of like a makeover.
0: And the giant buffing wheel on the <laughs> Man.
3: oh the buffing wheel yeah. is so good. I love it.
5: The fucking like, um, like sickles, for the the um, the straw for the scarecrow. I was like, oh my god,
2: I don't remember
1: those. Yeah, like the beginning of the sequence is like a Cronenberg movie for like two seconds.
0: <laughs> and I just think how they pull off the scarecrow costume. It's tough to see where the actor's body is. I feel like a lot of the time is he stuffing in when they're it's in when they're invading the witch's fortress and he gets like knocked over into a hundred pieces. And it's like clearly there's some set contraption where most of his torso is underneath, but it's hard to tell where where man ends and Scarecrow begins.
1: Especially with the makeup, like these these folds that are at the bottom of his jaw that flow seamlessly into like this neck piece that's obscured by like the little like rope around his neck. So like it it's pretty seamless, yeah.
0: Any final thoughts of The Wizard of Oz? Do we recommend it? Does it hold up in 2023? I say yes.
3: Big yes. Don't wait to watch the whole thing like I did. Do it now. <laughs> like short.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a movie that's, you know, cl- a classic for a reason. But it's if you're like me, it's better than you remembered. And is more impressive every time. So absolutely go back and check it out if you're a big fan or even a casual fan. And if you haven't seen it, yeah, as Christina said, uh, waste no further time and get to it.
0: And the HBO Max version is really spectacular.
1: Gorgeous. The best I've
0: seen it, yeah. Which I feel like we don't always say for streaming services. It's like the best version is on one of those.
3: I was paid by YouTube to say this, but I watched it on YouTube and it was quite good.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Butter With That audience, for uh, joining us for episode 200. But before we go, I'm going to swing it on over to Dave as we uh, march down the yellow brick road to Dave's corner of the Zoom screen. Uh, for his special surprise.
1: And uh, yeah, a little uh, a little surprise, a little ode to the show, a little ode to the movies that we loved and have discussed, and uh, a little, uh, hopefully, a nod to our listeners and our appreciation for them. So that's something that we are going to uh, try to enjoy with all of you. So the best way to do this, I would say, is that uh, aside from Christine, who got a preview, uh, no, none of you guys have seen uh, this surprise yet, so it is uh, new to all of us. If you want to go ahead and watch it, what we'll do is we will take a little break. Uh, We'll pause for a few moments and then recommend that you go check it out and then rejoin us for our response. This can be found uh, on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and look up Butter With That under Channels, just to be specific, it's the easiest way to find it. You will find a video that's called Butter With That Celebrates 200 Episodes. And uh, we're happy to host it. And one that uh, I think is a, it was an interesting project and one that I learned a lot from about new software from. But uh, again, uh, yeah, just an affectionate ode to the movies that we love, the discussions that we've had. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. So uh, if you want to look that up, go ahead and we'll be back with you with our response in just a moment.
0: Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. See, that was so amazing.
5: Oh my God. That was, I like, I'm like speechless.
3: Yeah. Like the most beautiful just sequence and also just going down every movie and so many memories with all, like all conversations just keep popping up uh-huh. as each scene plays from each movie.
0: And just making me think about, like I was just thinking about shop, the movie shoplifters the other day, just for some reason that just popped into my mind and how these movies have so many of them have stuck with me even years after watching them only once.
5: Me too. There's a couple of okay, two things that I really want to say. First one <laughs> is um, Dave, the way that you found the shots to like match up with each other. Like I can tell that you went in order, like through our themes. And yet somehow mm-hmm. it's like, how did that how did he match manage, manage to do that? That's wild. You wouldn't think that there's anything that connects to those two movies, but like having having that was amazing. And you know, this for me, um, I never thought I'd be hosting a podcast. I never thought I'd be hosting a podcast that has gone on for four and a half years and has hit 200 episodes. And now that I'm embarking on a a new phase of my life going to California, I can't imagine my life there without you guys in it and without this podcast. So
0: I'm getting emotional.
5: So thank you. Oh
0: my goodness. Stop it, Sam.
1: Yeah. Love, uh, love movies, love the discussions that we've had, love our listeners. And of course, uh, love all of you my co-hosts and uh so this uh, a bit of an, an, an ode a love letter to the work that we've done and uh an acknowledgement of 200 episodes 213 hours of content and uh the journey that we shared together yeah felt like felt like a nice way to 13
3: 213 hours though of storytelling too like what you stitched together I'm going into my own podcasting mind, just like deconstructing what you've done. I want, I want to talk beat by beat. I want to talk of those beautiful cuts, the embrace it, like the sequence of embraces, the sequence of explosions. If you, I'm hoping you guys, if you're part listening, to this section of the pod, you watched it, please watch oh, yeah, it yeah. and rewatch it because you're watching uh, a master at work. But also like, just, just like a story arc of like us, finding our footing as podcasters early on. And then all the movies that we've seen and like the narrative of the themes that we did. And like, do you guys think that your taste in movies has changed or is it pretty much steady as you go over these past four years?
1: It's been shaped by this. I've definitely, uh, I have still a curmudgeon as uh, any episode will tell you, but it's broadened my my perspective and my experience uh, with with cinema so much. Engaging in these conversations and uh, exploring these these themes and these selections with all of you, and um, yeah, I think the uh, hopefully that's uh, that's what uh, anyone watching will take away from that.
0: Yeah, whole wholeheartedly agree about shaping my tastes, and I think evolving it and broadening it. Like Little Women, never would have thought I would love that movie, but absolutely <laughs> uh, adored that. So many, other. Dave. I remember when you were a little uh, grumbly about, uh, grumpy about heist theme, and look at where that took us. And several other themes at that.
3: There was a whole sequence of when <laughs> Dave would start every episode. I generally don't like blank <laughs> genre, but
1: <laughs> other oh, proof of concept. Yeah, you guys, uh, it changed my mind in a lot of ways.
0: No, same i wasn't trying to throw you under the bus no same for me too exactly oh why did they pick this one and then end up really really
5: liking it? my movie taste i think has still stayed the same except i'm willing now to try more things which is not something i had ever been before
1: turns out we love we love tori and thank her for a
0: message but maybe sam doesn't hate movies <laughs> took us 200 episodes but we finally got there
5: <laughs> she hates things but not movies
0: not-
3: we hate movies and it's sam hates movies but it's just like you talking about like movies you love
0: <laughs> if, if we had a patreon i think that would be our like patreon bonus subseries.
5: just like me ranting about things either good or bad who knows
0: so folks listening thank you so much for joining us for 200 episodes uh as sam prepares to move to california we're going to be taking about a month off when we return if you've made it this far we're likely going to do our 2022 award show um which will just give me many more weeks to, to catch up on several films that I've just haven't seen yet so thank you Sam for moving across the country so I can have more time to watch 2022 movies anytime and with that have a good whatever have a good whatever uh, all okay, right uh, let's do that all right all right have a have good one <laughs> I can see why we've never done this before. <laughs> I think just start over now. Start the podcast.
3: Start <laughs> a- at zero, oh, guys. Ooh, wow, butter was
0: that rebooted?
3: <laughs> the new generation, the
5: next generation. <laughs> butter, no, buddier than no, never. Fuck it,
3: we have it. Buddier than ever. Buttery buttery butter for I. <laughs> I <can't laughs>
0: <still
5: kill
3: myself. laughs>
1: This has been